America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. And right now, here he is, and we had to make room. He's added on to his entourage. Here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello, my friend. Beautiful day. Sunshine and you know, we're little gonna, cold, we're but it's spo- nice. We're getting spoiled. We are. We're it's, getting spoiled. We know it's coming. You know somebody's going to stand at the end of the hall and jerk the carpet out from underneath <laughs> us. So I got to tell you, I heard from a guy named Mark Scobie. Okay. And he is a professional team roper. Yeah. And he uh, wrote to me and told me he'd read my book. Yeah. And he appreciated the fact that when I was describing team roping, like when when they have a roundup, yeah. that I was spot on with how I described team roping. So oh, I appreciated good. that. Good. And folks, if those of you that do uh, read my book, just go to my webpage and uh, send me a comment. And I'd appreciate it if you would also give me a review Preferably five stars. <laughs> uh, anyway. You want to be just like the restaurant, huh? So much for that. There you go. So, no, whatever happened to Diebel Fuster Budweiser? Or oh, whatever. he's still over there. He's he, still yeah, listening? Yeah, yeah, he's still in Germany. Okay. So today we're going to talk about a trapper by the name of Osborne Russell. This guy, you I really like got him. got me on that one. I really like him because uh, he wrote a book called Journal of a Trapper. Oh. And folks, if you want to read a really good book, uh, it's called Journal of a Trapper by Osborne Russell. Can I say one thing before you get rolling? Yeah. And I pardon my interruption, honestly. You, a long time ago, did a really good story on here about Bass Reeves, yes. that sheriff, right? the Old West Sheriff. And now they're running a uh, kind of an episode. Uh, series on I think Bass I've seen Reeves. that. Yeah. It's excellent. I, I'll have to check that I out. I commend you on that. So here we go. So picture this. There's four buckskin-clad beaver trappers. Uh, they thought they were just having the ideal life uh, uh, around their camp, but they didn't know that there was a war party of Blackfoot Indians looking down through the brush. This is not good. No. So... Again, picture this. All around them, there's these lodgepole pines, nice campsite. They've got a nice green meadow uh, offering good grazing for their horses. Uh, just a, an ideal, beautiful little spot to camp. And where they are right now is near Yellowstone Lake oh. up in that area. Okay. And you've been there, and I have. 
but the Indians were patient. They didn't see any need to get in a hurry. They uh, had a deep respect for the men with their guns, and the white hunters kept close at hand these guns, and they respected that. But uh, by the time the Indians crept up on their little encampment, the trappers were well settled in. In fact, two of them had set off into the forest to shoot an elk for camp meat. So there was just two of them left at camp. That's not good. So meanwhile, the trapper named White lay down on the soft mattress of pine needles to take a nice, peaceful afternoon nap. The fourth trapper was Osborne Russell, okay, the guy that I'm talking about. All right. So Russell had finished running his beaver traps. He was spending a quiet hour working on his equipment. Then taking his rifle, he started down to the lake, and he just enjoyed a beautiful day. He actually uh, went for a swim in that ice-cold uh, lake. Went for a swim? Well, a bath, whatever you want to call it. But Russell was one of these guys that actually really appreciated the beauty of the Rockies and the mountains and the rivers. And he wrote about that in his books. But, uh, in fact, he was known to climb a mountain all the way to the snow line simply just to sit up there on a granite ledge and maybe sit there for two hours just looking out over the peaks and the ridges and the mountains and just kind of contemplating nature and the universe and, and the Rocky Mountains in all its splendor. Wow. Okay. So he was kind of a sensitive guy. Uh-huh. So on this, like you. Yeah. Very you. sensitive. So on this day, beside the shore of Yellowstone Lake, like say he stripped off his buckskins and lay Laid his rifle down and uh, leaned it against the pine tree. He then went for a lazy half-hour bathing in the icy mountain lake. A half-hour? half-hour. He dressed and wandered back to camp. Uh, it must have been about this time that the Blackfeet came upon the little camp and hid in the bushes. Oh. Determined now to capitalize on their good fortune. Uh-huh. Here they had, you know, there's just two guys in there. Yeah. So... Uh, he was kind of hungry after a swim, so Russell went first to the spot where they had spread out their stock of dried meat, and who was about 40 yards from their bedding area. And there he removed his powder horn and bullet packs and laid them out carefully on a log. Not good. 40 yards from where there's... Okay, okay 40 yards. Carrying the meat, he moved back toward where White was still sleeping and sat down and ate. So he left his gun. Uh, he left his powder. Oh. His, his powder and, uh, yeah. So uh, he went back where White was still sleeping. Okay. And he kindled a little, little fire. He lowered himself onto the pine needles and just started to enjoy a smoke with his pipe. And uh, But, you know, as he lifted a glowing stick from the fire and touched it to the tobacco in his pipe, he raised his eyes to scan the campground to reassure himself that everything was in order. Well, you get to the point. But all was not in order. <laughs> all was not in order. <laughs> the Indians had begun to move, and Russell saw the heads of a few of them Uh-oh. as they slipped through the underbrush toward the horses. Uh-oh. Of course, they wanted horses. Yeah. Russell grabbed his rifle and yelled, Indian! which brought White out of his sleep, uh, as few other words could do. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was immediately awake. Now, both tri- trappers now had their rifles in hand, but neither was close enough to his powder and lead. Oh, my right? goodness. You're not supposed to take that off. It, well, in fact, one of the Indians was already escaping with Russell's powder horn and bullet patch. Oh, All they had was what they had in their rifles. Oh, my. Well, the two trappers were now completely surrounded by the yelling Blackfeet, and they were down to one shot each. 
They cocked their rifles, picked a spot in the circle of Indians, pointed their guns at the enemy, and began a desperate effort to stay alive. And here's what Russell said. Quote, the woods seemed to be completely filled with Blackfeet who rent the air with their horrid yells. Now, the Indians uh, who were directly in front of the trappers' guns kind of gave ground. They How kinda, close were the Indians? Oh, just, you know, 30, 40 feet. Oh, you know, they were close. Okay. So, But it opened a 20-foot gap through which the mountain men ran as they headed for the forest. Well, what did the Indians have, bows and arrows or yeah, what? And, and hatchets, you know. And oh, stuff. You make it sound really gruesome. Yeah. So White had only taken a few steps when he felt the impact ah. of an arrow penetrating his right hip. <laughs> Russell yelled at him to yank out the arrow and keep running. And even as he spoke, easy for him to say, <laughs> even as he spoke, another arrow found his mark in his own hip. So oh now my. White had an arrow that he pulled out. Uh, Russell had an, uh, an arrow in his hip. And moments later, the both traps were still running at top speed in spite of the arrows they had taken. Ooh. Another arrow thudded into Russell's right leg. Oh. And you can imagine the pain was severe so much that he stumbled. Well, the floor of the lodgepole pine forest is littered with a lot of downfall. You, you've been in mountains where you've seen, you know, where the downfall, the trees are just thick. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So Russell, uh, they stretched across the log in plain view of the Indian who had scored with the second arrow. As the warrior leaped the short distance over the fallen logs and brought his war axe high above Russell's head, the trapper rolled quickly to one side. The axe came down where his head had been, and Russell jumped to his feet. He and White continued their mad scramble through the forest from log to log while arrows continued to whistle past them. Oh, this is not fun. So when the trappers had gained a little distance on the yelling Indians, Russell whispered to White, both men whirled about and took dead, dead aim at the Indians. The Blackfeet saw this, and they hid behind trees, giving the trappers time to get another 50 yards or so between themselves and the Indians. Well, didn't the Indians realize that they were really just one-shot Marnies there? They only no, had a shot apiece? They probably didn't realize oh, that they my. didn't have but one shot. So they now came to a place where they had to make a stand. Well, Russell's leg gave him a lot of pain, and the loss of blood had weakened him. They dropped into kind of a fortress of fallen logs, which hid them from the Indians who were searching. Uh, they were going all over looking for these guys, and they went around their hiding place. Now, Russell's plan was to make a final desperate stand, stand die like men, and take at least two of the Blackfeet with them. So he whispered to White to take the first Indian who turned his eyes on them, and he would get the second. So here they are. They're down, hidden among the deadfall. Okay. They rested their rifles on fallen logs and tried to calm their breathing to steady their hands. The Indians apparently believed that the two trappers were still on the run. The first group, uh, perhaps 20 warriors, scrambled past without even glancing at their hiding place. Now, were they... Went right past them. Right by them. Yeah. Oh, my right goodness. Right past them. You'd think they'd have followed the blood or whatever. Well, yeah, but they I guess they thought they were still running, so they just kept going. Oh, my. So a second line of Indians raced through the woods on the other side of where they were hiding in this little nest of, of logs. And even though they were within 20 or 30 feet of the trappers, they did not see them. Hmm. So picture this. They're in the middle. A group going on one side, another group going on the other side, but they didn't see him. Well, the two files of Indians came together again beyond the trapper's hiding place and raced on through the woods and out of sight. 
As long as Russell and White could, could hear them running, they didn't move. They stayed still. Oh, I would too. Finally, they crawled out of the log pile and hobbled off toward the lake. A quarter of a mile distance, Russell had to keep stopping, stopping because his leg was injured. Well, I mean, weren't both of them? Well, the other guy's wound wasn't so bad. Oh. Quite. Um, anyway, the Blackfeet doubled back, and the trappers could hear them yelling as they took possession of their camp and everything they owned, including the horses, the food, the skins, everything they had. And after moving along the lake for a mile and a half, Russell had to stop. He couldn't go any farther. He was he was wounded the worst. Yeah. Well, with some of the pressure off and time to reflect on their chances, White began to come apart. He He's, what? started to come apart. He started whimpering and saying he would never get out of this situation alive. Oh, you mean his mind started yeah, to... Yeah, he started I to think, I'm, I'm done. I I'm thought done. maybe he was losing his arm or leg <laughs> no, or whatever. No. Oh, okay. But Russell was more experienced and a leader by nature. He had once been as green as his companion, but a person learned quickly in the wilderness, you'd better learn or you did not survive. Yeah, absolutely. Well... He felt somewhat responsible for the safety of White. The kid had come from Missouri family that pampered him and gave, never gave him much to do besides horse racing and gambling. So Russell gave White kind of a verbal lacing down. Really? Yeah. Chewed him out. And it was something like this, quote, if you think you're going to die, you'll die, sure enough. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to die. I can crawl through this place on my hands and one good knee, and I can kill two or three elk. He didn't say how they were going to do that without bullets. Yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> Made a shelter. He said, I can make a shelter of skins, dry the meat, and live on it until I'm able to travel again. Yeah. He just laid it out on him. Yeah. You know? So He's kind of the Bill Belichick of the old uh, uh, explorers. Yeah, just really laying him yeah. on Yeah. So, but anyway, as I said, White was in better shape than he thought. His wound was basically superficial. Really I wasn't see. that bad. So yeah, well, wait a minute, you're not being fair. Have you ever been shot with an arrow? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, after spending a miserable night beside the lake, they moved quickly into the pine forest just in time to escape the Indians now coming in their direction. Oh, not again. They watched from the pines as 60 Indians came on the scene singing and talking, but the inter Indians were interested in a herd of elk swimming in the lake, Yellowstone Lake. The Blackfeet killed four of the elk and spent the next several hours dressing them out and packing the meat so they could carry it with them. Wow. So they just kind of watched and saw. And these guys were freezing. Yeah. Well, it wasn't all that cold at this time of the year. But So now the trappers began their long journey back toward Fort Hall. What happened to the other guys? Okay, we'll get to that. Okay. So uh, they got to Fort Hall, which is, of course, folks, if you don't know, Fort Hall is about eight miles north of Pocatello, Idaho. Yeah. So southeastern Idaho. So first, however, they returned to their campsite and they found one of their companions. You remember, two of them went off into the forest to hunt. Yeah. Okay. One of them had come back. After everything had settled down. Didn't he, he didn't he was with okay. the Indians? He's okay. Yeah. So the Indians had chased the other two men when they came back searching for Russell and White. The trappers had escaped, but the fourth member was now lost in the forest and eventually made his way to Fort Hall. Okay, so now uh, in the following days, Russell and his little party of three, there are three of them now, trying to get back where Russell could get medical attention. 
Of course, they were traveling lean and hungry. They made miserable little camps and shivered through the nights. Well, no, the other two had horses, though, didn't they? No, because the Indians took all the horses. Oh. The other two had gone off hunting just on foot. I see. So, uh, they, now imagine this. In spite of his injuries, they covered 20 miles the first day and 30 miles the second day. Their return route took them across the the Grand Tetons. Well, you know where Yellowstone Lake is. Yeah. And they had to come back through the Jackson area, through over the Teton area. With a couple of arrow holes in his leg. Yeah. Yeah. So they came down the West Slope, uh, then across the Sagebrush Flats. How many miles altogether? You know, from Yellowstone, that's got to be... What, over a hundred? Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So the last two days of their journey, they covered more than 65 miles through country where game was so scarce that they were completely without food. No food. Well, Russell's condition grew steadily worse until he finally had to stop every few minutes to rest. With several miles to go, the party met a trapper from Fort Hall who took Russell the remainder of the way on his horse and brought him finally into Fort Hall. Oh, my goodness. So, and they didn't have any. Well, the other trapper had uh, powder and, and lead. Yeah, so he maybe could have shot something. Shared something, yeah. yeah. So once in the fort, Russell rested. He ate well. He applied some salve to his wounded leg. And after only 10 days of recuperation, was back setting beaver traps. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> 10, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Well, we've talked about that. If that happened to you and I, we'd be lucky if we could turn on the remote. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, a little bit about Russell. Yeah. uh, Is he he legit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Russell, and he spent a lot of time in the area we know, up around Island Park, Henry's Lake, uh, that whole area, Fort Hall, Snake River, this whole area. But he was leading the life as he preferred it. This Rocky Mountain splendor through which he wandered was a world apart from the life he once knew. Beaver trapping was his deliverance from the known and predictable, his escape route from the dull life. The adventure, scenery, freedom, and promise of riches from fur justify the hours of hardship and the risk of life. Um, now, earlier, he had actually come from here out in the West from Maine. Oh, that's a big difference. Yeah. And he began to dream of more exciting adventures in distant places. But he actually, his first plan was to go to sea. And at the age of 16, he ran away from home and shipped out on a ship. But the life <laughs> shipped out on a ship. That makes sense, right? Uh, this is rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> but the life of a sailor confined to this boring ship was not oh, for Russell. And when his ship tied up at the harbor in New York, he jumped ship and turned inland. The next we hear of his travels uh, is from his book that he wrote, Journal of a Trapper. Uh, talks about the fur business. He was working for the Northwest Fur Trapping and Trading Company in the Minnesota and Wisconsin area, hmm. actually, to begin with. Really? And from there, his trails led west. And after some years, he appears in the Rocky Mountains, ready to begin his career as a beaver trapper. Unlike a lot of his uh, mountain men buddies, Osborne Russell could read and write. And unlike most, he began keeping a journal, which is this book. I see. And it's been a valuable book because it shows the valuable uh, records of what it's like to be a trapper. 
So anyway, uh, in his book, he says, quote, at Independence, Missouri, on the 4th of April, 1834, I joined an expedition fitted out for the Rocky Mountains and the mouth of the Columbia River by a company formed in Boston under the name and style of the Columbia River Fishing and Trading Company. And he worked for them for about 18 months uh, at the rate of about $250 a month. Wow. But before long, he became a free trapper and soon proved to be one of the best free trappers ever. And he kept a diary of all yeah. this. Yeah. And in 1843, after nine years as a mountain man, he moved out of the Snake River country, away from Fort Hall, and headed for Oregon. He later moved to California. His health failed, and he died in 1892. And this is kind of a sad part of it. Towards the end of his life, he couldn't feel, he had no feeling in his lower part of his body. Oh, my. And they think it was from severe rheumatism, from standing those hours and hours in the cold water. Streams, you know, oh. uh, uh, doing the beaver trapping. Regardless of the fact the guy was shot full of holes yeah. with arrows. Yeah. So that's Osborne Russell. Oh, and, I got to have more about him. Yeah, he, uh, you know, that book, Journal of Trappers, just an excellent book, folks, if you, yeah. if you can get your hands on it. And you've got it. I do. I do have that book. I'll tell you what. This he, story comes from a book called The Mountain Men. So this is kind of an excerpt out of his They were book. tough. Oh, they were tough. Yeah. Can you imagine you and I doing that? Oh, well, first of all, running. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, all I can say is I love that story. Thanks. Thank you. Come up with another one next week. I will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, there he is in all of his radiant glory, our friend, Dr. History.